Because guess what? It's happening. <laughs> you said it almost exactly the last episode. <laughs> Welcome back. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> Welcome to episode eight of Bloody Babbles eight. podcast. We've, we've eight. It's great. Eight and you know what? <laughs> Someone in Norway just started being tortured. I so believe what's happening. Norway, hi. Norway. Norway, if you've listened. Hi. There's a lot of ways to get a hold of us. I would love to like know Who your are name. You? Who are you people? Why are you listening are to you these supporting? redneck hillbillies in <laughs> Southwest Kansas? We don't really talk like that. At no point have we ever. No. I think we tried to go southern for no reason at one point. Someone did tell me once that my normal accent was like a, somehow country which is weird because i feel like i hear you i hear a new york accent come out of you a bunch because of your dad it's usually i'm just mimicking i well you're mimicking him but sometimes when you talk it just some of the phrases mm-hmm. you say it just happens i think you've just gotten so it's used to it that i've always said mm-hmm. exactly um, No, it's just, it's interesting because then you watch TV and I feel like every TV accent, you know, like yes. the normal accent is ours, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't get it. So it's funny. So for the first episode, because we're doing part two now, Gene, the Jeannie Wiley case. Wow. It was only five pages that I used off the Wikipedia page that I printed off. And there's like probably a good 20 in my hands. You hear children in the background. Um, we've birthed some of them. I've birthed one. Kelly's birthed four because she's crazy. Um, so grown. I mean, they're so, really mature. They are really mature. Like Actually, her lightsaber moves in the front lawn. She's fourteen. It's what they do. Lightsaber with right? full noodles. That's what they do. And then your ten, nine-year-old. He's nine. Nine. Nine-year-old and my, my three-year-old are best friends. They're hanging out. Cash keeping him entertained. So if you hear tiny humans, and hope I don't know how much this mic will catch because they're upstairs and we're in, obviously in the bloody basement because that's what we do. Um, yeah, there's tiny children, and if we randomly have to pause throughout because children come down the stairs, well, that's that's bound to happen today. Here lately, we've been child free. Doing that, you so, know that I'm angry with someone and I'm quietly yelling at them. <laughs> you're snapping. <laughs> we're gonna pause recording and then you're continue. You're on the phone and they come in. And you're like, and you give him the look. Yeah. I know I that look. murder you when I got the phone. You're, you better go count your blessings because you're going to need them. Oakley, Oakley. So we're, so we left off with Jeannie was discovered um, accidentally because her blind mother um, went into the wrong office, but it was actually good. Oh, goodness. Yes. Her father committed suicide because the world will never understand. Fuck you. Um, well, mm. eh. It's fine. There's no children present right now, so I'll cuss, I'll cuss, I'll cuss accordingly if I need to. Accordingly. Like accordingly. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start into the notes where she was being assessed at the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. Um, we're bringing in a guy named Jay Shirley, who is a professor of... Jay. Jay. Uh, professor of psych psychiatry that doesn't look like it's spelled right even though it is that stresses me out and behavioral <laughs> sciences at the university of oklahoma and especially 
can't even drink today. Maybe it's, you know. <laughs> I'm too, I do well. I'm looking at the screen of my computer as if it's a person. Hi. Hello. Um, specialist in extreme social isolation and took an interest in Jeannie's case. Because, I mean, she's been through. It's interesting and sad and I don't know. It's just something. Okay. Uh, Jay Shirley. Yeah, Shirley noted that Jeannie's... Unprecedented. Unprecedented? No, but you know what I mean. Like, it's never been... Never seen anything like it. So they oh, yeah. want to work on her. Because I mean, it's just... It's new territory. New territory. It's almost fascinating and scary all right. at once. It's right. like, huh, how do I handle this? I don't know. If you hear music in the background, that is... Um, we don't know. It's your TV about to blow up. And scene. And unseen. We are returned. We, uh, you didn't even have to hear us yell at children. It's fine. It's great. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, yeah. Jay Shirley noted that Jeannie was the most severe case of isolation he had ever studied or heard about, which he maintained more than 20 years later. So, I guess over the course of 20 years, he, like, studied her. Is that what I'm understanding? Sure. Great. Over the next year and a half, he came on three day, three, three day visits to conduct daily observations and carry out a sleep study, hoping to determine if Jeannie was autistic, whether or not she had sustained any brain damage and whether or not she was born mentally disabled. Cause I hope he figures things out. Is he going to figure things out? I, I didn't know. read ahead of this. I just printed it out and then we covered different cases before you went on vacation. So we'll find out together. Ooh, it's a surprise. Oh, like Shirley it. concluded she was not autistic, which yeah. later researchers concurred. Uh, he noted that she had a high level of emotional disturbance, but wrote that her eagerness for new stimuli and lack of behavioral defense mechanisms were uncharacteristic of autism. Okay. So, not autistic. Okay, so he found no signs of brain damage, but observed a few persistent abnormalities in her sleep pattern because, you know, her mom would wake her up uh, at 11 mm -hmm. yeah, to feed her so she wouldn't die. Because as of, as of right now, I believe she's still alive. Born roughly in 1957. Guess who brought her notebook today? Me. Oh, you have all the information. So uh, her birth date was supposedly April 18, 1957, and her parents were Clark and Irene. She was How do you born spell genie. G just like a genie, G E N I E. Genie in a bottle, baby. Gonna stop singing right now so I don't get sued. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So he also, Shirley also found no signs of brain damage, but observed a few persistent of the abnormalities in her sleep. Mama. Yep. Still in Arcadia. Mama. Yes, my dude. Okay. I have no idea what just happened, but that was my child. If you heard him <laughs> yelling, so I'm not cutting that out because it's adorable. Um, <laughs> his voice. He does. When he talks, I'm like, what? Say some more. Say some more. I decided uh, when my lease is up, I'm going to just move into Kelly's house for real. She doesn't know that yet. You're welcome. As long as you pay rent, Girl, I got you. Need um, some help with my bills anyway. And I like your kids and they like me. So or, well, they'll probably end up hating me, but it's cool. Um, <laughs> okay. Genie sleep, including a significantly reduced amount of REM sleep with a variance in duration much larger than average and an unusually high number of sleep spindles, which are bursts of rhythmic or repetitive neural activity. So she's, Obviously not a sound sleeper. Like she was very little. No, restless. usually people who have issues with those need like fans or some constant noise. Oh, okay. Me. To sleep. That's me. I sleep with a fan I on every this. night. I did research on this because Travis cannot 
sleep without a fan. And I told him it's spindles are not mm. as developed as mine. It gives me a hard time because I fall asleep immediately. I'm one of those annoying people who's just insta sleep. Yeah, I insta sleep. You can suck. I, I can sleep. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you don't have one and yuck. Okay. <laughs> no one wants to suck nuts. Um, I used to sleep like through the races and stuff as a child, you know. Oh, I slept through tornado warnings, tornado sounds when I was yeah. a child. Like I was oh, dead to the world. But now as a mom, I feel like I'm, I'm the lightest sleeper. You know what though? I was when my kids were younger. Well, probably. But now that they don't really need me, maybe I should become a light sleeper again because who knows about these girls. Yeah, out. they can't be trusted. Hi. They can't be trusted. Can I help you? Yeah, I am on you. Okay, and seen. And unseen. Okay, had to go uh, assess the children. Because <laughs> mine, obviously, you have to hear his cute little voice. Oh, so, enjoy my tiny my tiny little cool human. Quite, it's not began yet. I know. Um, I kind of want to go join them later. <laughs> We're just going to have a sleepover, and you're just not going to have a choice. <sighs> I put my, my, I put my dogs noise. away, so they're fine at home. Okay. Um, since we've talked about her sleep patterns six times now, um, and spindles, he eventually <laughs> concluded Jeannie had been mentally disabled from birth, specifically citing her significantly elevated number of sleep spindles as these are characteristics of people born severely disabled. We don't know what level that was at. So but that's interesting. So the more spindles you have, the more you're disabled. Possibly. They have more. So really, I'm closer to normally disabled Oh, than those of you that need fans. Hmm. That makes you a more intelligent person. <laughs> Not. Anyways, the other scientists following the case remain divided on this issue. Much later, for example, Susan Curtis emph emphatically argued that though Jeannie clearly had serious emotional difficulties, she could not have been disabled. She pointed out that Jeannie made a year's developmental progress for every calendar year after her rescue, wow. which would not be expected if her condition was congenital, and that some aspects of language Jeannie acquired were uncharacteristic of mentally disabled people. So she instead believed that Jeannie was born with at least average intelligence and that the abuse and isolation of her childhood, childhood left her functionally disabled. So That's she what I would have assumed to begin with anyway. Yeah. And like, well, her mom said that like, she wasn't a cuddly baby. She didn't really babble and she didn't really like solid foods, but like for, but for everything, like when she was seen, they said everything was relatively normal. Like she wasn't showing any, well, I don't trust this mother anyway. Neither do I. I mean, I think all Trust of those her as far as she could from see. severe neglect. Yeah. Hey, -o. okay. So I this mean, is if a baby cries and never gets response. They're going to stop crying. Yep. Because they're going to be like, oh, they're going to self soothe and it's not, and it's going to mess with developmental and they become detached and they, yeah. So affection. Okay. Babble time. So there's like a group online that where these people with newborns, one, two, three month old babies, and they're like already talking about the cry it out method with them. Uh, like they like encourage it. These other, there's these various moms that are brand new moms for first time moms. Some of them, one or two kids in, but they let their babies already cry it out at two, two months old. And I'm like, uh, there's, they don't do the 15 minute thing. No, they're literally, most of these babies are crying because they're hungry. They need change. 
or they just need interaction. And these mothers are like, oh no, I'm just, I need to sleep. So I'm just going to ignore them. And then these babies are crying for over 45 minutes to an hour. I'm like, not only a case like this, but I mean, well, and I'm pretty sure mine were older than two months, No, uh, but I, I would time for 15 minutes. If they were still crying for 15 minutes, I'd go get them. Yeah. But oh, no, not me. Less than that. They didn't need me. I didn't let Arlo start crying out till he was probably like a year and a half old. Well, I don't consider that crying it out. Yeah. If if they don't really need something, they're not going to cry past that amount of time. That's right. what I was told by a doctor. Yeah. That's the only reason I right. take that way. But like, no, but I'm like a two month old baby. Like, no. I mean. See, and I thought you were going to mention something about there's the studies that they do. And I, they break my heart. I don't like watching them. And it's only like this one little thing. But it's a mom who's, you know, playing with her baby and, and smiling at the baby and making faces and right. making noises in the babies. And then all of a sudden the mom's face just goes emotionless. And the, and the baby did. sits there for a while and tries to get the parent to pay attention. Okay. okay. I've heard of, it. I've and heard the of mom that. stays like that. And it just shows this breakdown of this baby emotionally in front of her. And it is so hard to watch. I don't know if your microphone is, but it's just okay. showing what we do to our babies, to our kids. Right. When we look at our phones and we don't look at them. I feel so bad because Arlo plays with a phone, even though there's just games on it and he YouTube's like nobody's business, but I've changed the limitation on that. So please don't come at me and say, there's, Oh my God, you're a terrible mom. There's a difference between letting your kids play on a device and never looking them in the face and smiling at them. Yeah. Never looking at them in the face and talking to them. I literally had to get down to Arlo's level just the other day because he opened my front door to let my dogs in. And from where my bedroom is, you can, like, if someone walks through my front door and my bedroom door and my bathroom door are open, you could see me full on naked. Well, fantastic. So we had a conversation about that. You're going to have some people show up. Yep. Now that you've disclosed. They don't know where I live. I'm in Southwest Kansas and that's it. Please don't find me. You know what? I live in the country. You know what? They're going to end up in your attic. Yeah. It's always Get out. Yeah. <laughs> your microphone is, <laughs> I don't How's know. It doing? It's just like, it's not like pointed correctly. Maybe I need to like move. Oh, hello. So maybe, oh, there we go. I fixed it. Not some type of weapon. I'm going to hit you with it if you don't quit whispering. Okay. Let's get back to talking about. I see you. <laughs> see, they're not going to hear. I'm going to have to adjust the audio already. But luckily, by the time this comes out, it'll be a couple weeks from or next week. You always read Hunger Games for kids every year. I love that. And the, I think it's the third book. Uh-huh. On the um, Mocking James. Hiss. And they're going, yeah, <laughs> Oh, gosh. Every year I do it. I'm like, guys, if you whisper anyone's name, that is the scariest sound you'll ever hear. And so for a week or two, the kids are whispering each other's names around the classroom. It's pretty humorous. And scene. Unseen. There's a tiny human here, but it's fine. Not my tiny human. I didn't <laughs> make that one. So we're going to talk. We have an audience. We have an audience member. Say hi, Cash. Hello. <laughs> See, now you've heard both our little babies. I keep looking at my computer screen as if it's a person because nobody's hearing this yet. So I have to put it out in the world. It's, it's just what I do. Okay, so we're going to talk about her hospital stay now. I don't know how much I'm going to touch on this because, like I said, there's so much. Like, this could probably be 
a three-parter if we wanted it to be. How many years has she spent in the hospital? Um, she moved. Okay, so she's in the hospital. In her his first meeting. Okay. Um. So this is just just so this gets into December of that same year, 1970. By April and May of 1971, it talks about in the later part, April 1971. So she's still in the hospital by 1971. I don't know when she's pulled out. I'd have to keep flipping. She moved to a foster home in June of 1971. So for a little, like a year and a half, roughly. Now both. Year and a half. That's not as long as I was thinking. When you were talking she, about but, how much there was about it, I was thinking it's. She goes back into yeah. hospitals though. Like she goes oh, into okay. a foster home, and then she goes into. Gosh, foster home. Okay. A second foster home talks about her. There's a custody dispute between. Her mom and I'm assuming the state. And then, yeah, she. It talks. There's. I don't know if we'll probably. We probably may not cover the like the rest of this. And then it gets into adulthood. She turned 1975. Um, yeah, her mom wanted to take care of her, so she's in and out of hospitalizations and foster homes from 13 to 18. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess I, I wasn't thinking about the fact that she's still a child. Yeah. What? Hello. Now both tiny humans are down here. You go, Mama. <laughs> no. Why? Because I don't want you to. No. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. I lost my train of thought because we took a really long break, but you guys don't know that because... <laughs> We're just trucking right along. Um, so, oh, her hospital stay. Okay. So in the first meeting with Jeannie, James Kent initially observed no reactions from her, but eventually drew a small amount of nonverbal and verbal responsiveness with a small puppet. Hmm. Playing with this and similar puppets quickly became her favorite activity. And apart from tant her tantrums, tantrums too, go for it. It's the only thing he wants. Be careful. I don't think my kid likes cantaloupe. Been in there for a long time. Oh, so it'll be an adventure. How cash can I handle a knife? Apart from her tantrums. <laughs> It'd be the most stressed out this, podcast I think we've ever had. It absolutely we, is. My goodness. If my kid wasn't here, we would be just fine. Honestly. He's a baby. He wants he his mama. Baby. He does. But, um, okay. Her tantrum accounted for most of the few, wait, accounted for most of the few times she expressed any emotion during the early part of her stay. Within a few days, she started learning to dress herself and began voluntarily using the toilet, but continued to suffer from nighttime and daytime incontinence, which only slowly improved, which I mean, that's to be expected. Any improvement is good improvement. Uh, Kent quickly realized there would be a large number of people working with Jeannie and was concerned that she would not learn to form a normal relationship unless somebody was a steady presence in her life. So he decided to accompany, accompany her on walks into all of her appointments. Aw, you go, that. James. Just, that's just love, man. That's love. I mean, that's looking at her, so like, there's this one picture and she's got these big old, like, doe eyes. And I'm like, how could you not love her? 
Yeah. Like, how could you not? Um, Jeannie, she uh, quickly began growing and putting on weight and steadily became more confident in her movements. And by December, so this is only a month, she had good eye-hand coordination and was much better at focusing her eyes. Just a month. <laughs> you go, humans. Uh, she developed a sense of possession. She started hoarding objects to which she took a liking for. Reasons doctors did not know and became extremely upset if someone touched or moved anything she collected. So Because she'd never had any possessions of her no. own. Slowly developed OCD. Be like, this is mine. Yeah. That's all I am. Touch it. Okay. Now I'm whispering all the time. Great. What? She touched Gollum with the ring. No, I was thinking of finding Nemo. My precious. Don't sue us, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, she took all kinds of items, but per per particularly, <laughs> particularly thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a new word. I'm just, yeah, that's, it's perfectly t typed out text, and I can't <laughs> even read that. Um, she sought colorful plastic objects, which doctors speculated was due to having these items, having been these items she had access to as a child. And she did not seem to care whether they were toys or ordinary containers, but especially thought out beach pails because remember she played with um, uh, containers, just pl empty plastic containers. During the first few months of her stay, giving her one of these objects would bring her out of a tantrum. So apparently she had a lot of tantrums. Raising a three-year-old. It's interesting though, get that it. just an item could get her out of something like that. Yes. So after a few weeks, Jeannie became more responsive to other people and shortly afterward began paying attention to people speaking. But at first, she remained mostly unexpressive and it was unclear whether she responded more to verbal or nonverbal stimuli. Just don't growl at her. Love of God. Oh gosh, don't I growl don't at her. Um, shortly afterwards, Jeannie showed clear responses to nonverbal signals and her nonverbal communication skills quickly became exceptional. Yes, my dude? No, I'm okay. You eat it. Okay, good. I'm glad. My child's eating cantaloupe and he loves it, which is awesome because it's one of my favorite good. fruits. I love cantaloupe. <laughs> okay. This is so delicious. Got it. Oh, I got to try it? He, he caught it. He caught it? Yeah. It's on your lip. I can see it. Eat it. Alrighty. Okay, we're good. Um, so we're talking about, oh yeah, nonverbal communication skills um, became exceptional. A month into her stay, she started becoming sociable with familiar adults, first with Kent and soon after with other hospital staff. Like, they, she was clearly happy when someone she knew visited and sometimes worked very hard to get a person to stay, hmm. expressing disappointment if she failed. For no discernible reason, her greetings were far more energetic than her relatively mild unhappiness when people left. So she got excited when people would come and see her and everybody like as they, in the one documentary that I watched about her, this one lady's like to meet her, you fell in love with her. You just loved her instantly, like instant. Like she was just, uh, and I like seeing the pictures I've seen of her. I'm like, I would just, I'm her. <laughs> not even though she's 60 something years old, 63, 63. If the date I found, Okay, sorry this is so choppy and not great. Um, my kid is the bad one here because he's very needy. And he's also wearing the shirt that I got him. He did. And I know. Kind of goes right along with. This is why we can't have nice things. Is the shirt she got my kid from Florida, and it suits his personality today. 
Oh, sweet genie. <laughs> um, okay. Oh yeah, she was talking about how she'd get upset when people left. After the state dropped charges against her mother, she began visiting Jeannie twice a week, and over the course of a few months, they steadily grew better at interacting with each other. Which, apparently, in, in the long long run, doesn't maintain because of her mom pulling her and putting her in somewhere else, and nobody knows where she's at, except the hospital that she's literally in. She's really a beautiful child. Like, she's just... You can tell she's just curious. Like, she just... She would have developed just fine, but her dad was a monster. Um, yeah, we've been through that rough. <clears throat> so, she started interacting with her mom. At the same time, it was noted she took pleasure in intentionally dropping or destroying small objects and enjoyed watching someone else do the same thing, same to something she had been playing with. She liked breaking things. Hmm. Hmm. So, Kelby. Kent wrote that she did the same series of actions several times over and that it appeared to ease some internal tension for her and therefore thought she did this to gain control of traumatic childhood experiences. Hmm. Interesting. She showed a deep fascination with classical piano music played in front of her, which researchers believe was because she could hear some piano music during her childhood. Like, during, yes. I believe so. She did not have the same reaction to recordings, and if someone played anything other than classical music, she would change the sheet music to a book she, to a book which she knew she had pieces she liked. So she, wow. she started like loving music. Oh, it must have been so interesting to work with her. Yes. Like, and everybody was just—they loved her. Like, they were like, she thrived. She changed her whole personality. She just developed this little personality, and just like I said, everybody was just. Oh, she's okay. Well, I'm getting ahead and reading things because I'm. I don't know if I'll get through all of this. Like I said, this could pro. This could easily be a three-parter because her mom ends up filing a lawsuit too. I don't know if we'll make it a three-parter. We may just have to because of how this crazy night is going. Um, <laughs> by December of 1970, uh, Kent and the other hospital staff working with Jeannie saw her as a potential case study subject. Uh, that month, David Riggler obtained a small grant from the National Institute of Mental Health to do a pr uh, to do studies on her and began organizing a research team to submit a larger request. By January of 1971, doctors administered a Jessel development evaluation and found Jeannie to be at a developmental level of a one to three year old, noting she already showed substantial Jesus. Developmental disparities. <laughs> I am not a doctor, but I can read. But these are big words, and I just ate a piece of cantaloupe, and my mouth is very um, full of saliva. So Lots sorry for reasons. sorry if you hear no gross mouth noises. I apologize. Don't hate me, <laughs> Norway. Don't stop listening. Okay, no, um, come back, Ireland or Singapore. Um, oh no, there's Ecuador. Huh. Ecuador. That's just crazy. <laughs> okay, anyways, following months, psychologist Jean Block and her husband Jack Block, Jean and Jack Block, whew, evaluated Jeannie, and her scores ranged from below two to three year old level on a few components and then a normal um, 12 to 13 year old level. Around the same time, doctors noted that she was very interested in people speaking and that she attempted to mimic some speech sounds. I know at some point she, they, I know they're going to mention that she does say like single words at a time mm -hmm. eventually 
So they performed, I'm going to guess later, leader, lighter, L-E-I-T-E-R, international performance scale test. Um, they dramatically increased with her overall mental age at the level of a typical four year, nine month old, four years and nine months old. That's a weird specification, but okay. I want to let you know that I am taking a, an appraisal and counseling class right now that deals with all of these tests that you're mentioning. That's so crazy. But I only read them, so I can't tell you how to pronounce any of these. You're doing just as good Thanks as I Thanks for being useless, Kelly. Yeah, but just you're kidding. welcome. You're welcome. I don't even know. I just, I know what you're talking about, though. So, so I, this may be, this may have to turn into a three-parter. Like, I want to hear, yeah, the, the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. might be a, a and that's deal. almost towards the end of my paperwork. So this oh, is probably wow. going to be a three-parter, guys. Sorry, not a two-parter. You've been warned. Um, okay. Uh, individual components. She still showed a very high level of scatter. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Her progress with language accelerated, and doctors noticed the words she used indicated a fairly advanced mental ca mental cate categorization oh. of objects and situations and focused on Objective properties to a degree not normally found in children. I feel like when she learns about, like, the name father or dad and they, like, show him pictures maybe. I could be totally wrong. But I think she says bad. Bad when she sees him. Don't quote me on that. We may get to it. I don't know if it'll be. This is, yeah, this is going to be a three-pointer. I'm so sorry. Bad. Yeah, I agree. Because i glad he's not alive anymore, even though he's a coward. Um, around the time when a minor earthquake struck um, Los Angeles, she... She ran, frightened, into the kitchen and rapidly verbalized to some of the hospital cooks she had befriended, marking the first time she sought out comfort from another person and the first time she was so readily verbal. So she ran in there after an earthquake. Oh. However, she still had a hard time with being with large crowds of people. At her birthday party, she became so anxious at all the guests present that she had to go outside with Wriggler to calm down. The later part of her uh, stay at the hospital, she started engaging in physical play with adults and eventually began to enjoy giving and receiving hugs. I don't know why that just hit me, but it did. Oh. She continued to exhibit frustration and have tantrums, but in response to situations that would have elicited similar reactions in most young children, she would sulk for a long time despite receiving an object she liked. April of 71... To the great surprise of doctors, she began attacking another girl because she felt she owned the hospital dress the other girl had on. This was both her first exhibition of a sense of possession of her items she thought were hers, but was otherwise impartial towards, and the first time she directed her anger outwards, but she did not entirely stop harming herself when angry. So now we're going to get into um, brain testing. So, backing up a little bit back into January of 91, scientists conducted a series of neurolinguistic neuro tests on her to determine and monitor the course and extent of her mental development, making her the first language-deprived child to undergo any detailed study of her brain. What? Neurolinguistic. Neurolinguistic. I like it. I mm -hmm. like the word. Linguistic. Well, now I want linguine because I'm always hungry because I am a bottomless pit even though I've got a gut and I'm proud of it. Anyways, Jeannie's entire brain was physically intact and surely sleep studies found sleep patterns typical of a left hemisphere dominant person 
leading scientists to leading scientists to believe she was mostly likely right-handed. Over the following years, multiple tests of her handedness supported this conclusion, as did observations of her in everyday situations. On their early tests, doctors suspected Deanie's brain was extremely right-hemisphere dominant. So she ended up being left-hemisphere dominant later on, but in the beginning, they thought she was right-hemisphere. Interesting. In March of 71, neuroscientists Ursula Belugi I like that name. And Edward, and Edward Klima came from the Salk Institute for Biological Studies to administer their own series of brain exams on Jeannie. You heard that yelling. My son just saw Kelly's cat and got real excited. But I get it because I kind of love buttons. And we have a weird <laughs> relationship. Like- Oh, there we go. I'm out she of like here. She runs out of her- <laughs> She literally ran down the stairs and is hiding. Um, okay, so came to administer exams on Jeannie. Audiometry? Sure. Tests confirmed that she had normal hearing in both ears, but on a series of dichotic listening tests, Belugi, I don't know if I'm saying that, Belugi, Belugi and Klima found that she identified language sounds with 100% accuracy on her left ear at left ear while correct, I'm going home. While correctly <laughs> answering at only a chance level in her right ear, so she could hear better on her left, but not her right. I just pointed out my right and then my left. Did hear my child? And I didn't notice. Uh, I know. Okay. To the chaos. The chaos. Yeah, we are now wondering if it's echoing into microphones or not. We'll see. I'm not editing any of that out. Deal with it. Sorry. <laughs> it's usually just Nicole and I. Yeah, this is the first time we've ever had uh, five school. other humans in the house. <laughs> and eventually I'm going to live here, so it's going to be a permanent thing. Just kidding. I'm going to discuss that later. We'll, we'll let you know. No, <laughs> such an extreme level of asymmetry on these tests had previously only been documented in patients with either split brain or had undergone a hemispherectomy as an adult. I wonder if this has anything to do with, you know, if you damage one part of your body, if there's anything that's like paralyzed, or right. it usually happens on the opposite side of your body. Hmm. Does that have anything to do with I don't know. I was just proud. I, uh, I think I pronounced that right. When they gave her monaural tests for both language and non-language sounds, she answered with 100% accuracy in both ears, which was normal. On non-language dichotic listening tests, she showed a blah, 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 blah. She showed a slight preference for identifying non-language sounds in her left ear, which is typical for a right-handed person, and helped rule out the possibility of her brain only being reversed in dominance for language. So non-identical in her left ear? That's funny because I feel like my left ear is stronger than my right ear, and I'm right-handed. My son is left-handed, so that's what that's like later on in life. My right ear is definitely better. I don't listen to regardless, and I obviously can't read. Um, plus, all these words are just giant. My eardrums blew up when I was little, so I had. Oh yeah, we talked about that. Hearing specialist for a long time. Uh, based on these results, Belugi. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You ever hear this? Did we just turn twelve? <laughs> yes. And Klima, now I can think of Belugi. And Klima believed that Jeannie had been developing as a typical right-handed person until the time her father began right isolating her. Bark. 
They attributed the imbalance between Jeannie's hemisphere to the fact that Jeannie's sensory input as a child was also almost exclusively visual and tactile. Tactile? Tactile. Sure. Tactile. Tactile. Hello. Hey, buttons. Stimulating functions which are predominantly controlled in the right hemisphere of a right-handed person, and although the, this input had been extremely minimal, it was sufficient to this... It was sufficient to cause their lateralization mm -hmm. to the right hemisphere. Gotcha. Sure. Whew, I feel like I'm going to be much more intense. They're giant words. And I'm like a fairly decent like reader. But this is stressing me out. They therefore believe that because Jeannie had no linguistic input during her childhood. And what? Oh, my God. And I'm messing up on simple words, and that's what's making me more angry. It underwent. You have no, it day. No, I am. Retrograde, man. Retrograde. I blame it on that. Sorry if you don't believe in it, but I do. No specialization whatsoever. So her language functions never lateralized to it. Since Jeannie accurately distinguished speech sounds with her right hemisphere, they thought her language functions had lateralized there instead. Dun -dun -dun. So this gets into um, she just becomes more interest of as a case study, and they were trying to get grant funding to learn more about her because she is remarkable just because of what she came up with and what she went through. Um, so I don't know if I'm really going to get into that a whole lot, but it talks about. Um, there was a film that was made about her, Francois Truffaut. Uh huh. Yep. I hope France doesn't start listening to this because he's <laughs> okay. That was brutal. Um, film The Wild Child, which chronicled the life of Victor of Aviron, Aviron, uh -huh. in the years immediately after his discovery in the in the efforts of Jean-Marc Gaspard Attard. I think you need some neuro-linguistic tests done. Yeah, because my tongue doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> to teach him language and integrate. So there's there's another child who went through something similar to this. And his case is circa 1800. Oh, wow. Is when, and I think they kind of touch base on him a little bit much later in these notes. I'm telling you, this is going to have to be a three-parter. Because this is just off of Wikipedia, just this little bit. So we're going to kind of skip that. It's just, it, I feel like a lot of it's repetitive. Like I said, you can go on the Wikipedia page. This is where I read it from. Don't judge me. But I just found this case really fascinating because I found her more than once. And I was just like, I want to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think there might be other podcasts about it. And if they did it better, I'm sorry. But I'm not mad that we did it because it's just, it's crazy. And Susan Curtis um, is, she's one of the, because they accept, they got a grant proposal and it was accepted um, to further their research. Susan Curtis, this lady, began her work on Jeannie's case as a graduate student in linguistics. And um, she stayed with her for the remainder of Jeannie's stay at Children's Hospital. And she almost met with her every day. And at some point, um, she tries to become her legal guardian, but the mom fights her on it and doesn't let her you don't want your daughter to actually have a good yeah birth. good life when you can't even see you already knew that she couldn't take care of her like that's already been established she right. said that herself right 
And she was literally going well, to get... She got off of a lot of charges by saying she can't do this on her own. She had mm-hmm. no way of... And now... I I just wish there was someone... I don't know. I'm going to stop talking. I'm mad. <laughs> okay, Curtis. Yeah, I think... I want to say Susan Curtis may have been the girl that I was in the documentary that I looked up, and now I feel... Okay, well, this ends up being a three-parter, which I think it's going to. Um... I'll uh, I'll try to come up with that name. If not, I'll put it in the show description whenever we put this episode out. Um, boom, you're welcome. Uh, Curtis quickly recognized Jeannie's powerful nonverbal com- communication abilities. Dude, I can't do this. Writing that complete strangers would frequently buy something for her because they sensed she wanted it and that these gifts were always the types of objects she most enjoyed. So strangers could sense that she'd fixate on something. They're like, oh, I've got to get it for her. That's me. Every time I go to Walmart, I always buy something for our when he doesn't need it or deserve it. But then he's like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. I'm back. Um, Curtis concluded that Jeannie had learned a significant amount of language, but that it was not yet at a taste, I said tastefully, usefully testable level. So she decided to dedicate the next few months to getting to know Jeannie and gaining her friendship. Friendship. Over the following months, she and Jeannie very quickly bonded with each other. And, like, I, this lady, she loved her. She absolutely loved her. Uh, <clears throat> ah, okay, fine. At the same time she be- uh, Curtis began her work, doctors reevaluated Jeannie on the leader, lighter, litter scale. <laughs> the word I couldn't say earlier, and I, I spelled it. I always pronounce it the lighter. Lighter but scale. But I don't know if I'm, I don't know if that's right. Lighter scale, and measured her on the Stanford Binet Intelligence Scale, which placed her estimated mental age between a five and an eight-year-old with a very high degree of scatter. Scatter. <laughs> doctors believe Jeannie had learned to use her gestalt perception to determine the number of objects in a group. Gestalt. Gestalt. Thank you. Yeah, tell me things, because that word comes up again. And by the start of the case study, she could accurately discern the correct number of up to seven objects via gestalt perception. So child, psych- there's so many psychologists and names in this. But, um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> child psychologist David Elkind, Elkind? Elkind? Sure. Who was involved in the grant meetings, evaluated Jeannie of May of 1971, and reported she was in the concrete operational stage of development, noting that she understood object permanence and could engage in deferred imitation. Her physical health also continued to improve, and by the time her endurance had dramatically increased. Her social behavior was still highly abnormal, and doctors were especially concerned that she almost never interacted with people her age, but evaluations from the time expressed some optimism about her prognosis. So now we're going to go into her... here not just stalled. Just stalled? It's gestalt. Oh my god, I said it right. You're absolutely saying it right. I said it wrong always. Again, I told you. Well, those scales, that's, a, that's the type of therapy that's been in all these things that oh I'm gosh. reading, but I don't know how to pronounce any of them. Yeah, Zabri's messaging me all these TikTok videos. Goodness gracious. Okay, so now we're going to, I don't know, we're, we're almost, almost an hour in on this guy. We're at 40, 43 minutes right now. Um, we will, okay, I'm going to just continue. I think I know where I want to stop because this is, are you cool with this being a three-parter? Because it's so much. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, um, okay. So now we're going to go to her first foster home. 
In June of 1971, Jean Butler obtained permission to take Jeannie on day trips to her home in the country come... I'm leaving. (laughs) Country Club Park, Los Angeles. How hard is that to say? Country Club Park. God bless it. Near the end of that month, so in June, after one of these trips, Butler told the hospital that she, Butler, might have contracted rubella, to which Jeannie would have been exposed. Oh, now we're exposed to COVID, so welcome to the world. Hospital staff were reluctant to give foster custody to Butler and were very skeptical of her story, strongly suspecting she had concocted it as part of a bid to take over as Jeannie's guardian and primary caretaker, but decided that placing Jeannie in an isolation <laughs> in an isolation ward at the hospital could potentially be highly damaging to her social and psychological development. Sorry for that Arlo interlude there. <laughs> um, okay. We were talking about, yeah, she got rubella. <laughs> I'm so sorry how scattered this is, guys. She got what? What is it? What was this about? <laughs> Who are we talking about? Where are we? In what uh, world are we in right now in the world? We are melting. That's my kids. My child's thing. <laughs> um. Oh, okay. I'm gonna. Okay. They. Okay, so we're talking about this lady, Jean Butler, who wanted to take over as Jeannie's guardian and her primary caretaker, but decided that placing Jeannie in an isolation ward at the hospital could potentially be highly damaging to her social and psychological development. So they agreed to temporarily temporarily quarantine her in Butler's home. Sound familiar? Hello, world. We're all quarantined. Just mm. kidding. No, we're not. The world's just ending. We're in a simulation. My our coworker convinced California me of that. shut down again. The world's going to get shut down. Just the whole dang world's just going to shut off, and it's going to be great. Butler, who was childless, unmarried, and at the time living alone, subsequently petitioned for foster custody of Jeannie, and despite the hospital's objections, authorities extended Jeannie's stay while they considered the matter. So she was living with this lady because of rubella. Oof. Okay, so Butler's offers observations. I am. Maybe the worst episode. I'm sorry. What did she observe, Nicole? What was it? Soon after moving in with Butler, Jeannie started showing the first signs of reaching puberty, marking a dramatic improvement in her overall physical health, and definitively putting her past Lenneberg's proposed critical period for language acquisition. Butler continued to observe and document Joan. Joni, Jeannie's hoarding, in particular noting that Jeannie collected and kept dozens of containers of liquid in her room. Liquid? What kind of liquid? Yeah, I know. Although she could not discern the reason for Jeannie's intense fear of dogs and cats, after witnessing it firsthand, Butler and the man she was dating, who was a retired University of Southern California professor and psychologist, tried to help her overcome it by watching episodes of the television series Lassie. With her and giving her a battery-powered toy dog, Butler wrote that Jeannie could eventually tolerate fenced dogs, but that there was no progress with cats. Cats are the worst. Just kidding. Did she get hissed at? Her well, her her dad would like bare his teeth at her and he claw her and he growl at her. Right. I'm so, just wondering if that was maybe he hit, he probably hissed. He probably did all sorts of more. Of a, I'm just more of a you know a feline sound or something or maybe I don't know. 
In her journal, Butler wrote that she'd gotten Jeannie to stop attacking herself when angry and had taught Jeannie to instead express her anger through words or by hitting objects. Butler also claimed that shortly after moving in with her, Jeannie had become noticeably more talkative and that she had made substantial progress Yep, with her language acquisition. There's so much live in my mouth because I ate more melon. In an early August letter to Jay Shirley, she wrote that the man she was dating had also noticed and commented on the improvement in her language. Jeannie's incontinence gradually improved until by the end of her stay, she was almost entirely continent. Wow. Just by staying with this lady. <sighs> now this fucking... See you next Tuesday of a mother. So I don't really like saying that word that often. Because I feel it suits her. See you. Tuesday. Custody dispute. Yeah. Um, Jeannie's mother continued to visit Jeannie. And around the time Jeannie moved in with Butler, her mother received corrective cataract surgery, which restored much of her vision. Well, probably. I want to gouge her eyes out myself. I'm sure she's probably deceased by now. But, um... Oh, she's gonna be really old. Well, I guess she was twenty. Well, she was twenty years younger than the dad, so maybe oh, not. Oh, that's true. She Look it up. Really young. You got your pee home. Mm-hmm. Um, during Jeannie's stay, Butler had the man she was dating move in with her, believing that authorities would view her pending foster application more favorably if she offered a two-parent home. However, Butler began Mommy. to foster. Hold on, baby. I'm okay. Bye. The child yelling at Um. However, Butler began to strenuously resist visits from the research researchers, who she felt overtaxed Genie and began disparagingly referring to them as the Genie Team, a nickname which stuck. Butler per- particularly seemed to dislike James Kent and Susan Curtis, preventing both from visiting during the latter part of Genie's stay. And also had several disagreements with Wrigler, although he had their dis- said their disputes were never as personal or as heated as she portrayed them. Well, we're women. We like to over-dramatize things sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, if you don't agree with that, then you're lying to yourself. Um, anyways, researchers believe Butler had good intentions for Jeannie, but criticized Butler's unwillingness to work with them and thought she negatively affected Jeannie's care and the case study. I mean, I can see how that's kind of happening. They strongly contested Butler's claims of pushing Jeannie too hard, contending that she enjoyed the test and could take breaks at will, and both Curtis and Kent emph- emphatically denied Butler's accusations towards them. The research team viewed Butler as, as personally troubled, noting her long-standing and widely known reputation for combativeness with coworkers and superiors. This is all the lady she's fostering with right now. This is the Butler lady? This is the Rubella lady, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Several of the scientists, including Curtis and Howard Hansen, recalled Butler openly stating that she hoped Jeannie would make her famous, and Curtis especially remembered Butler repeating, comp- proclaiming her intent to be the next Ann Sullivan, but which is Helen Keller's teacher. So she saw this as a money opportunity. It wasn't about Jeannie anymore. Bitch. They, they put that spin on Helen herself. Right. It wasn't quite the loving story that has been told. Oh. Well, I said it. In mid-August, California authorities informed Butler that they had rejected her application for foster custody. Yeah. Sorry. Good. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be really loud because I'm sitting so close to my microphone. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I'm stuck to the couch. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to find about Dorothy. Dorothy? Her mom's name was Dorothy Irene Wiley. Yeah. Yeah. She went, I think she went by Irene. Irene but, is what she's mm-hmm. called throughout, yeah. Um, okay, Ann Sullivan. Okay, in mid-August, California authorities informed Butler that they had rejected her application for foster custody. Oh, yeah, I just yelled about that. The extent, if any, to which Children's Hospital influenced the decision is unclear. They did. She did not have the right mindset anymore. Maybe she did at first, but, I don't know, greed takes over in a quick way when it's a case as intense and fascinating as Jeannie. But Wrigler maintained several times that uh, several times that despite the scientists' objections, neither the hospital nor any of its staff had intervened and said the authorities' decision surprised him. Alrighty. Okay. I'm fine. So we're going to get ready to pause here after I finish this little bit talking about um, Butler, who she was living with. Um, and that the hospital was surprised. Good for her. At first. But maybe a little insane. A little insane. Okay. Because she saw it more as a, probably more of a money-hungry kind of thing. Interesting. Hmm. The Nova documentary on Jeannie, however, states the rejection of Butler came partially on the hospital's recommendation. There's evidence many hospital authorities, including Hansen, felt Butler's ability to care for Jeannie was inadequate. And hospital policy forbade it, staff members from becoming foster parents of its patients. Butler herself believed the hands, hospital, hospital, hospital had opposed her application so Jeannie could be moved somewhere more condu- conducive to research and wrote that Jeannie, upon being told of this decision, was extremely upset and had said, no, no, no. Oh. I don't know if that's factual, but that's just what Butler said. So we're gonna. This is where we're gonna end uh, part two, since this case is so long. So we'll. I may actually go through. Actually, I'll go through and highlight. Cause there's just so many things. We're done. Tell them bye. Say bye. 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 Say, Say bye, thanks. Felicia. Say bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Say thanks for listening. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Mommy's gonna edit the heck out of this thing. <laughs> Make sure you check out our. Um, fantasy and world music by the Fighters. They do. Hold on. They do our intro. Come here. No. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at Bloody Babbles Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Bloody Babbles. <laughs> and follow our Facebook page. Bloody Babbles Podcast. Bloody Babbles Podcast. We totally just mimic the girls. So, you know what? It's fine. Uh, I don't think I do them justice if I'm mimicking them. Okay, hold on. I don't know. Can bye. You say, can you say bye? Okay, Goodbye. Arlo, Arlo doesn't want to say bye. Well, thanks for listening to this wild episode. Um, My name is. Since this is going to be a three-parter. We're going to have Kelly Rabbit Hole more on the next one because it won't be quite as long because there's so much about this case that is just crazy. So thank you guys for listening and we will babble with you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.